Hey, good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Merck's Corner. I am Kurt T., your host for today. Uh, Jamie is away, but he will be back. Uh, today on the show, we have with us Erwin Strawn, a former U.S. Army soldier and Peshmerga YPG foreign fighter. Erwin, er- how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Getting by. Uh, so for the folks at home, why don't you uh, give us a little bit of uh, your background? Uh, tell us a bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, uh, not too impressive. Just uh, spent five years in the U.S. Army uh, National Guard, actually, as a military police officer. So I'll probably catch some flack for that. So I'm going to People are already tuning out of the show. (laughs) Numbers have dropped significantly. Um, Joined the Army in 2007, uh, pretty much fresh out of high school. Uh, Did some time there, got out in 2012. Uh, Did one deployment to Iraq in 2009 to... uh, the Wasi province, which is southern, I think it's about two hours south of Baghdad, in uh, okay. one of the bigger towns called uh, Al-Kut. Uh, did that for a while. Obviously, it was a year. Uh, not much going on. Pretty much all cop- combat operations had ceased at that point. Uh, what we were doing is just kind of, since we gave the country back, uh, since we gave the country back to the Iraqis, it was on, you know, their police units to uh, kind of keep the peace, I guess. So uh, we just kind of hung out with them and made sure they were doing their jobs, made sure there was no corruption, even though there was, and all that good stuff. <laughs> so, uh, nice. Yeah. Um, came back, got out of the Army in 2012, and uh, I moved to Nashville sometime after that. I think it was like 2014, so I wanted to be a rock star. Obviously, that didn't fucking work out. (laughs) (laughs) Early uh, 2015, uh, just met up with a group of guys on uh, Facebook, and we went over to Iraq to join up with the Kurdish Peshmerga. Did that for a minute, headed over to Syria, and did some stuff there, so I guess that's what we're going to talk about. (laughs) <laughs> All right, cool. Sounds good. Um, actually, well, and you and I uh, did a uh, deployment to the Peshmerga together, actually, for uh, for a minute. What was that about six months? Yeah, yeah, about six I mean, months. That's about the amount of time we were together. We had both been there uh, um, significantly longer than that, but as far as our crossing of paths, I think it was about six months. Um, <clears throat> Uh, well, uh, I, I'm going to probably come back to that because, I mean, a lot of your stories and stuff with the Pesh are um, very similar to mine. We, we kind of – they're going to be almost the same stories. Um, so probably hit that on a later episode. I'm more interested when we parted ways and you headed off to Syria. Um, what was what was it like with your time with the YPG, especially in – this was – what was this, late 2015? Yeah. Yeah, late 2015. So I spent about, yeah, five months over there. Um, it was, yeah, it was it was different, obviously, culturally. Uh, it's actually really, really funny. When uh, we parted ways, um, you know, we were all, everyone in our little platoon, I guess we had a platoon pretty much, it was like a squad. I yeah, guess. 
yeah. you know, we all started, you know, talking, well, hey, man, we're going to go to Syria, and like, well, well we're going to do this, like, all right, man, we're, we're going to figure it out, and uh, a lot of the folks that were going over to Syria, whether they were coming from the Pesh or straight from wherever they were coming uh, to get smuggled into the country, uh, a lot of them had to, you know, either go through the mountain passes through Turkey with the PKK. Right. Or, cross the or, river. Cross the river and, like, all this, like, clandestine <laughs> shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, I mean, and I, just to interject real quick, I was, Jack was telling me about when he uh, went across the river and how like they had to, they had like dodge spotlights and like had this little, basically a skiff of a tiny boat, like it was like a, a fishing boat, and they had to like get low and just like basically paddle across and then dismount yeah, and it, it was some serious smuggling like infiltration shit. Um, versus, and then, so I kind of know where you're going with this anyway, but please continue. <laughs> yeah. No, so, so like cool guy shit, right? Like shit. You yeah. tell your grandkids, man, I was right. on the <laughs> boat, man. We had to hide and shit. Well, when we parted ways, uh, we got in contact with some guys that we already knew, you know? And, uh, yeah. I think it was like a pesh major or something. He's like, yeah, man, we can get you over there. So, uh, we headed up to Urbel for a couple days. And I uh, waited for this uh, transport, and we were thinking the same thing. Like, oh, man, we're going to they're gonna sneak us in and everything. No, nah, man, we got into some forerunners and just drove over the fucking border. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, well, it, didn't he – well, you guys drove up to the gate, right? And, like, he just talked to the guards? Or how did that go at the ECP, much, basically, yeah. to the border control? Yeah, so what had happened was we went across the Iraqi uh, – the Iraq and Syrian border. So when we got to the border um, – it was Peshmerga that we were with, so this Pesh Major actually knew a couple of guys with the Yebe Shea, the YBS branch of the Yebege, YPG, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Uh, I don't know too much about them, but that's who they were. So he knew this dude, and they're just like, hey, these guys want to go to Kobani. And the guy was like, okay. Uh, i mean honestly that's almost because of how unique that is because for you people at home like the border was locked down at this time uh and for most of the time the borders are shut down so they don't let people through um and having someone escort you at this level to where they're just like yeah let them through um that's kind of how it works you know it's it's kind of drug dealy when you come when you come to the middle east as far as like who's who do you know what can they do for you whose palms can you grease kind of deal um that's that's actually why i i kind of appreciate it versus i mean sure getting smuggled over and humped into the mountains is cool guy shit but while you're doing it stuff like that sucks and like that's just like that what you the way you did it that's some james bond shit in my mind <laughs> we had uh we had air conditioning the whole way so <laughs> other fall <laughs> get over the border with this one simple trick that all volunteers will hate you for like <laughs> get in the car and drive um yeah that reminds me of when we uh finally got our um uh ids as officially recognized advisors by the krg and we had a hilix and we i, I would just like drive down to Dukan or wherever in this truck um and you had to go through a series of checkpoints that are every, uh, whatever, 10, 5 kilometers on the main freeways in um, northern Iraq and in southern Iraq, actually. And anyway, so I'd roll up, and these Asayish guys, who are the Kurdish secret police, basically the FBI, sort of, I don't know, how to, for, the, for the country, I don't really know how to describe them. They basically handle some level of counterterror 
foreign internal defense, or actually, excuse me, not foreign, but just regular internal defense and investigations, things of that nature. Anyway, so they man these major checkpoints on these freeways, and you stop and you hand IDs, and the man, when they see this one white dude by himself in this truck, like, and I roll up, I'm like, Tony Bashi Barakam, Brezi, like, full on Curtis speed. They're like, oh, Azani Kuri. I'm like, oh, Azani Kam Kuri Barakam. Like, he's like, I'm like, yeah, bro, no, hello. Like, Juwaza. Like, you know, it's a little different. And then, uh, I, I, my favorite that I finally learned was, uh, Dingle Bassett. It's like, what's up, bro? <laughs> like, it's total slang. I'm just like, what's up? What's happening? And, uh, Anyway, and then I show my ID, and they're like, ah, like, which is like uh, military advisor, you know, is what it would read. And they'd be like, and you could just tell by the look of their face, like, this dude is some Delta CIA ninja. <laughs> like, he's driving, they look at you like, you're just driving around by yourself. I'm like, yeah, I got an AK, and I got this handgun, like, <laughs> under my leg. <laughs> like, um, and they never ask any questions. They'd just be like, damn, that's. You know, they look at you like, damn, that's hardcore. Like, you better get kidnapped. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah. And, you, yeah, and you just keep going. And, uh, man, I never had an issue doing that. It's so funny. Like, I, man, I had also, back when we were with um, 9th Brigade, I had gotten through, um, it was me and Danny and that um, one uh, guy from the Burma Rangers who came around. And we were out, like, on a, oh, man, that whole story is wild. We're going to have to get into it one day for uh, you guys listening. Um, it's we basically it was just me, this other guy, this uh, free Burma Ranger guy, and then um, the police chief of a local village. And we're just, or no, the police chief's son. He was a lieutenant, and we're just driving around in this truck looking for beer at <laughs> like <laughs> ten at night. He's, we're like stopping and asking people in in a very heavily Arab area, and in this uh, Burma Ranger guy spoke Arabic, so he'd be like, he'd hang out the window, and we stop, we find the scariest students we could, and he'd just hang out the window, and be like, yo, where the beer at in Arabic? <laughs> but anyway, yeah, we bullshitted, and then the following morning, we bullshitted our way through a few checkpoints just by posturing, basically. We're like, hey, we're in a hurry, we got to get to this unit, and they never even checked IDs, like stuff like that. Yeah. You could get away with. It, it's one of those intri- intri- intricate. Uh, dynamics of of traversing foreign countries of like when to bluff when to have your paperwork in order anyway strange dynamic right yeah it really is it's it's so like you're sitting here uh, talking about the shit and i'm i'm sitting here trying to think like because obviously it sounds strange because people aren't used to this and, and it does happen but now i'm sitting here thinking like it was probably more strange for the host nation that this is happening in their country. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. They're like, who the hell are you? <laughs> well, yeah. you know, and then me and Joey used to, uh, we used to take the bus from our build to Slovenia when we needed to go back and forth. Like, I mean, like the public bus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we, because it was only 10,000 10, in an R, which is like um, seven US dollars or, you know, something like that, which yeah. is like, you know, so I don't know. Uh, Anyway, but yeah, so you pay $10,000, get on this bus with like 20 other Kurds, and everybody's looking at you like, who the fuck are you? And then we'd hit checkpoints, and they'd obviously they'd get everybody on the bus, and they'd ask for IDs, and then they'd see us just hanging out in the back, like waving, like, hi. <laughs> and uh, it was just, I don't know, it was so surreal. But it, honestly, it's one of the, if you know how to use public transport in foreign countries that way to your, your benefit, it's honestly one of the safest ways to go because. It's so unexpected. It's like the concept of violence of action, right? No one will ever see that coming. No one would go to look for a foreign foreign fighter or volunteer or a military advisor or anybody in that capacity 
they would never look on the public transportation on the freeway. You know what I mean? Like oh, yeah. those guys, they'd be they'd be looking for a convoy of B six armored vehicles, you know, yeah. or you know, uh, up armored uh, Land Cruisers or whatever, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, Some guys in like so, camo or fucking khakis. Right. Instead, we were wearing civvies with button up, you know, local locally purchased clothes and like, <laughs> you know, we just. We just yeah, skinny jeans because that's what everybody wears there. <laughs> Those, fucking shirts. Those fucking shirts made in Italy were obviously yeah. they were smaller than Americans. <laughs> oh my god, dude! Yeah, you'd have to buy a triple XL to fit in one of those. Anyway, yeah, cool, man. Um, uh, so uh, what was it like while you were in Syria? Big big jump from the past, right? It was definitely a big jump. Um, because I'm trying to it's it. I mean, it hasn't been too long. I'm trying to, like, retrace my steps here. But it definitely was a big jump. Obviously, there was um, – the first thing we noticed was, like, the language. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, because, but you could pick uh, up some of the – you could pick up some of it, but not all of it. It's, it's weird. It. Yeah. yeah. A different dialect. Because um, you would think – because this has been discussed time and time again. I've discussed this with Jack. I'm sure you have, too. Uh, the country, uh, you know, America and really the world in general – thinks of the Kurds of this like monolithic tribe where everything is just cohesive and the Kurds are Kurds, right? Right, right. Really the Kurds are, well, you have your Iraqi Kurds, Iranian Kurds, Turkish Kurds, you know what I mean? You have four different kinds of Kurds and then within each of those countries you have other subgroups like the Assyrians and Yazidis. So it's um it's a melting pot. It really is. It's more of like a it reminds me of like if Afghanistan was like a little more unified um as far as the tribalism goes but like yeah it's it's just as diverse easily or yeah. uh, just about just about so yeah so when you get into syria um the way i looked at the ypg um because uh obviously they, they're like you know they're a branch off of the pkk um i don't know if i'm People want to hear that because, you know, the PKK, especially what's going on right now, I guess they're fucking... It's fucking such a contested thing, but it, yeah. we all... I mean, anybody who's been there knows. They are so closely affiliated. The people... It basically was a split-off of PKK members who started the YPG. And yeah. they they all, they all follow the ideals of Oppo and him as a leader and almost a, a messiah to them. So, I mean, come on. I mean, you can argue it all day. Oh, they're not, but they are... They are. The difference would be like the, the the way I would look at the YPG. It's like yeah, they follow Ocelon and his principles and teachings and everything, but it's kind of like a new age Ocelon. You know what I mean? Right. Like right. after he got sent to prison and he can, you know he sat there for a while and he's like, okay, wait a minute, let's think about some shit. <laughs> let's think about some shit while I'm here. Yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Now I, I like that. That makes sense. I've never heard it put like that. Because yeah, the PKK is very old school, hardcore, by the book borderline communist and the YPG are like, let's, let's rethink this and let's get a little more socialist with our, um, uh, ideals and kind of, uh, get some more democracy going. And like, so yeah, that's, that's a really good way to put that. Um, um, what was the conflict like versus Peshmerga? Cause I mean, with, with the Peshmerga, you had very defined front lines and constant, almost border expansion, during uh, the actual conflict, um, and what what was the difference between that and like the YPG's fight that they had on their hands? Um, 
so like you said with the Peshmerga, it almost seemed like because we were there, and obviously it seemed like there was a border expansion. Because um, I, you know, aside from ISIS being in Iraq, uh, obviously the Kurds still have dealings with the Iraqis. And I mean, while we were there, you know, you saw that in Kirkuk, you still had Peshmerga fighting with the IPs. Um, there was actually a situation. We were, th- were you there for that situation during that PS, uh, the PSD run to the checkpoint? Oh. Probably one of them. Um, well, it was uh, was it the one where the Iraqis were brawling with the uh, with the Pesh or? Yeah, the IPs were. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure if I was there for that one or not. I man, but uh, I, I it's familiar, so I obviously I've heard of it. Yeah. Well, it, you, you go ahead and get into it then. Well, yeah. So just real quick, um, Iraqis and Kurds they still have this long running history of hating each other. So uh, just real quick, uh, we ended up at a checkpoint one day with uh, the general from 9th Brigade. Uh, I guess we came down there because there was a, a supposed V-bed that was coming through the checkpoint. I don't know if that was really true or not. I think the IPs were just, like, balling on their turf, and they wanted to get them out of there. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So we, That's, yeah that, get, that turf war shit, it's real. Yeah, Yeah, dude. Um, so we get down there, and as soon as we pull up, Here's these Iraqi police and these Peshmerga soldiers, and they're arguing, and we get down there as Westerners, and we're just kind of – I'm standing beside a Jersey barrier, and uh, there's flow traffic, but then they stop the traffic. So I'm kind of looking at the traffic like, okay, well, if there's a V-bid, we're, we're fucking dead anyway. Maybe I should look over here. <laughs> and so I just start waving to people, like, make sure I can see everyone's hands, like, hey, man, how you doing? You know, everyone's yeah. oh, yeah. So this verbal debate is going on, and then all of a sudden this – uh, who was it? It was actually a pest shoulder who was arguing with this IP. He racks his weapon back. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And I'm looking at the two and I'm like, fucking Christ, dude. Cause then you're, you're put in a situation like as an American, you're like, okay, well, if it's about to be them, an international incident. Yeah. If I don't defend my pest guys, then they're going to look at me weird and kick me out or do whatever they're going to do it to me. But if I shoot this Iraqi, then if like, the fucking America finds out, the government's going to come in here and like, who the fuck are you and why are you shooting Iraqis? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, God damn it. So, yeah, it's a big turf war. And um, it kind of seemed like the Pesh was trying to get back their land. You know what I mean? Right. Or make, you know, expand it a little bit. In Syria, it was completely different. It was, hey, these fuckers are on our turf. We need to get them out. They didn't want to expand, really. They didn't want to, you know, they just wanted their home. You know what I mean? Right, right. Um, that's pretty much it. You know, invaders come in and you kick them out. <laughs> like, right, sure. So, um, Well, and with that, that's an excellent transition. How do you feel about the recent events that have transpired with the U.S. withdrawal from Syria and the more recent Turkish incursion into the area? I don't know, man. That's a, that's a, I don't know. It was a weird situation. It was a weird situation while we were there. Um, Cause when we got to Syria, we spent m- the majority of the time on the, uh, the Euphrates uh, just past Kobani. Cause that's where pretty much the line had stopped at that point. Cause this time nobody was heading into Raqqa. Nobody was uh, trying to get over the river. We were just kind of held in the Kobani area. Right. And uh, during that time, where we were on the river, we were further north next to the Turkish border. So 
you know, you would see there was this ISIS controlled village and you would just see these cars keep coming over the border and heading south down to Raqqa. And, you know, you have to be completely naive not to think that, okay, they're transporting shit through Turkey and you can look through the binoculars and you could see yeah. like Turkish patrols and Turkish tanks. And it's funny, like they were they weren't pointed at the city controlled by ISIS. They were pointed on the other side of the river towards Kobani. <laughs> like, <laughs> why, why are they pointing it at us? You know, <laughs> so. well, I, the Islamic, in my opinion, the Islamic State was their low key proxy force. They were using to fight the Kurds. Yeah, no, most definitely. Um, Which they're still using elements of that now, um, especially with the uh, the Free Syrian Army and. Uh, uh, some of the militias that have been put together to work alongside the Turkish army. Yeah. Oh, the FSA is working with Turkey now? Yes. Yeah. See, the, see, see this shit is so fucking confusing, man. I remember. Well, because it changes. It changes by the month. Yeah. By the day sometimes. Oh, my God. Because I remember meeting some FSA guys because they were actually working with the Kurds at one point, at least a couple right. groups of them. Right, was, right. And I remember that as well. I remember that yeah. as well. And that was, um, that was a weird situation. That was kind of a frightening uh, to, yeah. to get to get in their den. That was a little weird. Well, that was like with the hostile Shabi, um, the uh, Shia militias. And yeah. um, uh, I guess I'll tell this story today. Um, so we were out in the – I don't know if I told this one already, but whatever. We're going to get into it anyway. We were out at, um, in taking over the city of Bashir with uh, 3rd Special Brigade. And <clears throat> that's just south of Huija. Um, outside of Kirkuk, and it was like a major stronghold. So we lost this massive operation, and we're, we were taking – God, it was like the, the whole skyline was uh, – RPGs are streaming into the air and exploding, and we're like, damn, we're about to drive into this. Like it, it, it looked like – you know, like I mean it, it sounds funny to say, but oftentimes wars like are like intermittent quiet with like very centralized conflict. This was like – like, you know, you watch a Star Wars movie or, like, a, a movie where a big battle is happening and, like, the the sky is just filled with shit. Like, that's that's what this looked like, you know, just RPGs and mortars were hitting us sporadically. And it was like, holy crap, dude, we're, taking, we're like, doing D-Day over here. <laughs> and there's there's a cool – there's a video Joey took where he's just, like, chewing on a piece of bread. And I'm like, dude, what are they shooting at? And I, he turns around and he's like, I don't know, man. He's, like, selfie videoing. He's like, I'm just eating my bread. <laughs> but um, so anyway, we're, we're – we're going in here, and um, we we had spent a day pushing up to certain lines, blew up some buildings, like made serious progress, and we held at a at a berm line, um, just outside of the main city after we'd taken the outlying villages. And Joey's gets up, he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna go look for some food," and I'm just like, "All right, I'm gonna nap right here because you know I'm tired." So just laid down in the berm and put my head up. And uh, Joey wanted off to look for like the the rice and beans truck or whatever <laughs> that's handed out, you know the. <laughs> The military food, uh, flatbread, rice, and beans, uh, r- red beans every day. Um, <laughs> and so he wanders down, and like, and it was funny because um, this guy Manir, especially, he's like, he's like, where's Joey? And he's like, we had to go. I'm like, yeah, I'll go get him. Hang on. So I start walking that way, and suddenly the area in front of me 
just explodes in gunfire and tracers and explosions. And I'm like, where the hell is Joey? And out of this chaos, like, of guys running around, I see Joey running out with that shit-eating grin, like, oh, shit, dude! <laughs> like, looking way too excited to be, but like, oh, man, I gotta, we gotta go! And he's running towards me, he told me he had wandered down there, and was like, hey! And he looked over, and he's like, man, oh, that's cool, that Peshmerga has a beard! <laughs> he, he's like, and then he's looking around, he's like, oh, man, all these guys have beards. That's awesome. Good for you. Like, he looks down at this guy who's, like, holding a weapon, staring at him, and he's like, Kaka, uh, Liba Sa'ana? And he's like, hey, is this third brigade? And the guy looks at him just, like, dead-eyed and just shakes his head no, like, straight face, just like, no, man. Like, And he's like, oh. And he's like, uh-oh, I think I got to leave. And, like, that moment is when, like, all hell broke loose and they attacked that position. ISIS started attacking that position. And he's just, like, got out of there. I was like, Jesus, Joey, you wandered into the Shia militia camp <laughs> looking for food. Like, and that, and if, it, that just about sums up Joey. <laughs> but, yeah, oh, man. Funny, funny stuff with the uh, weird alliances that happen, you know? Yeah, um, it is really weird. The Middle East is very complex. Yeah. It's, yeah, super complex. There's so many different parties and groups and organizations. And that was, like, that's the biggest that, – I think that was the biggest part of the whole journey and, like, figuring shit out. Like, it's kind of like you don't want to walk yeah. into the wrong neighborhood because it's so right. easy to do. Right, and and it's one of those things that like it, everything's so dynamic that you it's not like you could figure it out or wreck it beforehand. You kind of got to do it all on the fly, like yeah. you know what I mean. Like cause it was funny when I when I got back and they, uh, you know the uh, the FBI and DHS Homeland Security come and talk to you, want to make sure you're not a bad guy. Um, and then they they brought out a they had a map and show us where you were on the map, and I'm like, you don't have it listed. They didn't have Sulaimania listed. Um, yeah. the second largest city in Kurdistan, they didn't even have it on the map. I was like, yeah. are like, you are so under equipped. And it, but it's also one of the things that like, I can only imagine if they were trying to keep up with like who, what factions had what alliances, because you can't, you can't figure out where the borders are. You can't, you, or you couldn't, excuse me. It's well, things are still changing, but it's like one of those things is so complex and dynamic that it's like, you are literally just by the seat of your pants off the cuff, trying to figure this shit out and roll with it. And um, that's where it's really like you have to be adaptive um, in a way that's like unfathomable to m many people, I would I would argue. Um, it's and it just about sums up what makes unconventional warfare and foreign foreign internal defense so complex. Um, yeah, yeah. I can definitely I definitely agree with that, because, um, I mean, you can see that with the with how the politics was like what, what was I don't want to. So like the PUK and the PDK, yeah, exactly, or the KDP, whatever you want to say it. But yeah, they totally, totally opposing political factions on the same side of the Iraqi Kurds. Exactly. Um, do you mind if I take this one? I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, man. But for for the for those of you at home, the the PUK and the PDK, and I think I touched on this in the previous episode, are two major political parties, and there's a few smaller ones within Iraqi Kurdistan, and these two parties essentially have their own affiliated Peshmerga and they are trying to bring it all together under one ministry of Peshmerga, but like both sides don't want to basically release their privatized forces. It would be like for my American audience, it'd be like uh, if the Democrats and the Republicans both had their own politically affiliated uh, units that were still all under the U S army. Or, or whatever, you know, and, and um, or whatever the equivalent would be 
in the UK or wherever um, you're you're listening from. If you take your two most senior political parties for your nation and give them their own affiliated members that are still under the nation's military, it's it's very strange. Um, but yeah, and they and they hate each other. <laughs> yeah. They are so opposed, and they're very, very loyal to the families that have been with these political parties for a long time, longer than we've ever been involved in the region. Um, it, they date back to the founding of the the country. You know, it's it's ancient. It's tribalism in the modern age. It's very strange, um, and and understandable at the same time. Um, yeah, what, sorry, I kind of stole your thunder there. What's uh, what is your take on it all? And please continue. Let me, I'll shut up for a little bit. <laughs> no, you're good, man. Um, yeah, we kind of went off to whatever, kind of went off topic there. Um, but yeah, with the whole, um, as far as series goes, and the recent developments with the the U.S. leaving the Kurds, and then that's that's all still confusing me because the last last time I saw anything about it, we were actually going back again. <laughs> So what, like secure oil right. fields or some shit? Right. Deir Azor is a major one. That's where we uh, – uh, Jamie and I spoke about this, but where we got in the big firefight with the Russian mercs, U.S. Yeah. Army. or Yeah, I think it was the Army. Um, uh, basically killed like 200 of them because yeah. they – well, they, they attacked the oil field in seven tons or basically or, or whatever, deuce and a half. Yeah. Wasn't, like, <laughs> wasn't that oil field – isn't that like a Chinese oil field too? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm not certain. I know it is a big one for the um, southern part of Rojava, essentially, or what was the most southernmost part of Rojava. It was essentially right on the border with Assad um, territory and uh, Rojava. Oh, okay. Which, for those of you that don't know, Rojava is Syria, Syrian Kurdistan. Right, yeah. Um, uh, whatever, Kurdish yeah. for, uh, what, west or something? Right, right. Um, uh, yeah, um... Sorry. It's, no, you're good, man. It's just a weird situation. Uh, when I left Syria, uh, I left on the sole reason because uh, Turkey was actually trying to create that buffer, buffer zone. Mm-hmm. They were trying to do it before, back in 2000. When did I leave? I guess beginning of 2016, I think, mm-hmm. somewhere in there. And they were already, I mean, they were already stationed on the border. And we're like, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna push in. We're gonna take control and boot out ISIS, blah, 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 which we all know is just, hey, we're going to back our guys up. So. Yeah. <laughs> but unfortunately, um, because Turkey is a NATO ally, uh, I was like, shit, man, if they're going to come across the border, I'm not going to, you know, I don't like Turkey either, but I kind of like living in America too. So I'll <laughs> just, just go home. I'd like to keep my passport. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, nothing quite like attacking a NATO ally to get you on the terrorist list. Yeah, no, thank that'll, you. That'll do it. Um, so that was well, and then, you know, and it's funny because you said that, and I also remember there were some guys who chose to stay and fight and uh, and defend, what was it? Uh, um, it wasn't Mombish, was it Raqqa? Was it Raqqa? When um, the, Tur- the Turks retook Raqqa from the Kurds? Efrin. Efrin, Efrin, yeah. Yeah, so there were some guys who tried to stay and defend it, some foreign fighters, and they were all killed within like a week. Of they made this, remember they made that video where they looked like they looked like uh, ISIS or Al Qaeda, like they had yeah. ski masks on, standing there, and they're like, "We're yeah. gonna def- do this." And all like almost all of those guys died within a week, were like killed yeah. by Turks. Well, so, yeah, that, and that sucks, but I mean, 
I mean, this might sound shitty, but I mean, you know, you get what you get. I mean, you get what you get, and you know, they have airplanes and you know, air support and like so. The, who, who's got the bigger stick and how they're using it, basically? And yeah, yeah I mean, I don't, I don't know what. There was no, I, I. When they were made their statement, I was like, "You, you're gonna die. Or you're gonna be a terrorist. I mean, it's your only, your your only options." And I get it's a noble cause, but you're not gonna have some grand last stand. You're just gonna get hit by a bomb, dropped by a plane, and it's gonna be over. You, yeah. you know, you could you could say you were martyred, but were you really? In my opinion, um, you gotta pick your battles. I guess is the thing, and that's and that's kind of the the key to longevity as a uh, quote unquote merc is yeah. pick your battles and, you know, fight where you can and when you can, but there are times when you got to know it's time to egress. Yeah, um, most definitely. Egress yeah. and... Uh, regroup. <laughs> regroup, exactly, is the word. Um, yeah, some of those guys, man, like you just said, like, yeah, noble causes and everything, that's cool, but you, you got to think it like this. You can't fight a war when you're dead. Like, <laughs> right, exactly. That's kind of where I'm going with that. Yeah, it's, I mean, if you're martyred in that way, like, what difference did you really make? Like, you'd make more of a difference by reconsolidating your efforts and fighting and living to fight another day, essentially. Exactly. Rather, rather than, like, let's just go get hit by a bomb or an artillery round. Excuse yeah, me. that's dumb. That's just dumb. And that's one thing that the YPG, going back to it, so we're going you know, to talk about cultural differences. Because I didn't see it with the Pesh, obviously, because they're more of a standardized military unit. That Conventional, definitely. Exactly. The YPG is an unconventional guerrilla type of militia. And they're like, they wouldn't say it, but they're pretty much, their philosophy and ideology is like, if you don't die in battle, you're a pussy. <laughs> you know what right. I mean? Like, and it right. works. It worked to an extent. They are good fighters as far as, like, guerrilla tactics, and um, they obviously well, do really well in the mountains. But, uh, yeah, dude, like, that philosophy, like, okay, you can die all you want, but... You're going to lose the long run. You're going to lose the... You're, play, you're playing the short game. You're not playing the long game. It's, it's you know... And, yeah, I mean, I, I understand, you know, they're, they're necessary risks, but, like... You got to think long term if you really want to win a war and you know liberate the the, the region. Um, the uh, one thing uh, their tactics uh, I've heard from multiple people are insanely different, as opposed to um, w- because they have those roots as guerrillas. So um, their kind of methodology on how to fight is a bit more um, abstract i guess than than like yeah. say the conventional forces of the peshmerga it is they uh well for and, and uh, oh sorry yes oh no good um yeah like you said more abstract um they have because what we learned they do focus on like sabotage you know what i mean they right know how to set up and do whatever and all that crap ambushes um, ambushes they're really good at the problem was with the ypg is all these tactics were carried over from the pkk which right. obviously they're used to fighting turks in the mountains right right so in the mountains fucking kurds are like billy goats like you ever seen those fucking goats that fucking walk around on the mountains that are like 90 fucking degree slants and they're sitting there eating yeah. what they got to eat that's a fucking right. kurd <laughs> like 
<laughs> well, no, and I've I've seen the videos of them ambushing patrols up there, and it's it's wild, you know. And they're they're good at how they do it. They hit them. They got speed, surprise, and balance of action down. They hit them close. They hit them hard and fast, and they yeah. they they finish strong. Um, but that it doesn't really work so well for battles of attrition against in a dug in under siege Islamic state. It's exactly. a different. It it has no place there really, and in, in my mind. Um, and the one thing is their failure to adapt was a shortcoming as well because they're so concerned about being sticking to their guerrilla roots and like i remember um i can't remember if it was you or it was joe you told me that the reason he asked once or one of you asked once like it was somebody why don't you yes why could you fit her why don't you carry your rifles at low ready when you're entering a village or whatever you know almost shouldered up and like ready to fight and like, why do you always sling your rifle? And he's like, well, we don't. They were like, they responded like, we don't want to look like the Turkish soldiers because that's what they do. Yeah. And and I'm like, and I was like, that is like, your priorities are screwed, screwed there. And anyway, I again, I think they're wonderful people, very noble cause, um, but uh, the way things play out are almost inevitable because of these restrictions they place on themselves in certain areas. Yeah. Um, and that's not that's just me trying to be unbiased and look at it ob- objectively. I would absolutely I do not agree at all personally with what the Turkish army has um, done. Uh, I don't believe believe it was the right move for the U.S. to pull out um, either. Um, but you know it is what it is. You know. No, yeah, no, you're right. Uh, yeah, it's it it sucks what we did to them. You know what I mean? Like the pulling out and everything and leaving them high and dry. Um, like you said, obviously there's things that they can learn and there's things that we're willing to teach. Like even as volunteers, we were willing to train and they were a little hard headed, but at the same mm-hmm. time, they were the best ally we had. And yes, <laughs> we, we, that was, that was our only, they were, they were our only friends. You know what I mean? Right. And we just, we fucked them. And that's, I don't know. That's, that's what we do, I guess. I guess so. Um, um, I don't yeah. know. It's just a weird situation. And then, of course, we go back. To, we we don't actually leave. We cross into Iraq, and we're just gonna stage there. But then Iraq's like, I guess we're like, no, fuck you guys. You need to leave. So then we go back to Syria. I don't know, man. The whole the whole Middle Eastern thing, like as we've known for what two decades now, is yeah. the most confusing part of the world ever. <laughs> Even right. our high class like military leaders and our, our our government officials and everything who specialize and are experts in the Middle East, they have no fucking idea either what's going on. Right. You know right. what I mean? Hmm. So I don't know. Uh yeah. Okay. Well let's um yeah, you have I'm gonna ask you. I'm gonna ask if I'm oh no you're good. Um I'm gonna I'm gonna drop a, a fluff question here for some content. What's your favorite weapon system? My favorite? It's my mind, Kurt. <laughs> Good answer. All right, but it, <laughs> say, but in the context of say that conflict, what did you prefer? What are some of the things you had your hands on? What do you What do you like? What What did you dislike about certain things? I guess. Man, my favorite weapon system. So, 
Obviously, or I guess maybe maybe not even your favorite. What maybe what are some things you liked about certain ones? I guess that you had and things you didn't like about them. Yeah. Um. Well, I gotta tell you, man. Um. Coming from the military, the U.S. military, I know it's gonna sound weird, but I gotta tell you, dude, those fucking uh, the Kalashnikov, because I've had more hands-on time with that thing, mm. not only in training but also like battle. I guess yeah. combat, even though yes. you know, um, that fucking weapon system is just amazing. It I, works. I, it works. I can't describe it. The the damn thing works. Uh, it's easy to manipulate. Uh, fairly accurate for everything I ever had to do with one. I mean, yeah, I mean, I was I was hitting where I wanted to out to like easily, you know, three hundred at times where I was taking well aimed shots. Yeah, 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 I believe it. I never, like, we kind of, when we were in Syria, uh, unfortunately, we didn't really have any sight tools. We had to, <laughs> most Kentucky. Most, well, yeah, most of the AKs that uh, we got, the front sight post was fucking welded shut, pretty much. So it was kind of impossible to zero our weapons. We kind of just had <laughs> Right. Um, but still, from, uh, you know, 50 to 100 meters the damn thing was still pretty much hitting spot on i mean it wasn't the most amazing groups in the world but i'd say right. probably within an inch you know what i mean right right yeah yeah um i have to agree i'm i was surprisingly like i you know i always kind of liked the ak but man it really was like I, it's funny i pick one up now and i it's still it's one of those things when you're back home and i mean the, for our U.S. viewers who have access to firearms, you can go to the range and and still train and shoot. Um, you you go you still got your ARs and stuff like that, and you pick them up, and it's like, oh yeah, no, I know this, boom. But then you pick up an AK, and it's and it always surprises me how familiar it is. It's always like picking up and something I'd had my entire life, and it's like, oh man, God, I remember this, and, and you run it like it's you know like you'd always been doing it. Um, yeah, I think it's stuck, you know. Definitely stuck. Yeah, most definitely. Um, it's a great weapon system, and I know it gets a lot of flack over here on the uh, on the U.S. side. I guess because people seem to they always attribute it to the commie gun, but I mean, and inaccurate. There's a lot of myths or surroundings yeah. too that it's inaccurate. It's uh, it's sloppy. It's communist. Whatever. It's it's whatever whatever the myth surrounding it is, or that it's for one that it doesn't jam. I had a I told a that firefight story to uh, on one of the previous episodes, I literally described how my RPK jammed into like a catastrophic malfunction. It, they yeah. still jam if you don't maintain them and take care of them or if they get old. But like, granted, they are, I would argue, somewhat more reliable in adverse conditions because of their slightly looser tolerances of the mechanics inside them. Um, right. But but, they, but that is another myth on the weird side of things. Like they never jam. That's, that's a myth. Um, but it's also a myth that they they're wildly inaccurate, you know. No. Yeah, and on top of that, they're they're so fucking easy to produce. That's why the damn things were made. That's why you see them all over the world, you know. Right. All you right. gotta do is get some sheet metal, fucking bolt that shit in there, and you got a fucking rifle. You know what I mean? There's right. no this meticulous like, okay, well let's carve out this receiver and everything's gotta be. You can pretty much you can pretty much do it with hand tools if you if you know what you're doing versus with. Uh, um, the more complex firearms, you need ma- real tooled-up machining, um, yeah. uh, like CNC machines and very complex, uh, you know, 
tools. Um, you know, one one that I always tell people I really, really was blown away by was the G36. And I know we don't share that view, but mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I, granted, it is a bit dated, but I like to think of it um, for when the G36 was introduced with that dual optic system. I mean, you got to think it was still the 90s. Yeah. It was revolutionary. It was lighter, almost entirely synthetic, a dual optic system that was fiber optic powered, so no batteries, um, hammer, hammer chrome line barrel, hammer forged chrome line barrel with yeah. uh, the piston system. It was reliable, and man, me and Joey took those things out to 600 meters and were just hitting, hitting minute a man like it was cool. Um, very impressive in my mind. Um, no. It's not that uh yeah you're right the G36 is a great weapon system it's just, I it's like with me and Glocks you know what I mean because you know how I love <laughs> you hate them <laughs> I, I, I fucking hate Glocks but the only reason I really hate Glocks is because people put this shit on a fucking pedestal you know what I mean oh well, like agreed agreed shit. yeah but, I cannot I cannot stand that yeah the only problem I had with those G36s was those fucking proprietary magazines. Yeah, yeah, that is um, that is a stupid, stupid design flaw. But it, it was also around the time – it was around the time when nobody was really sure what a standardized thing was. Um, the M4 carbine hadn't really got the traction that it did with the uh, with the GWAT, the Global War on Terror, when it really picked up as right. like a mass-produced – I mean, it was still mass-produced, but it was really gone places now with all the moder- – modifications and custom options you can get for AR-15s and M4s, M16s, whatever. Um, so now mags are super standardized with everything because it's like the go-to magazine design. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and those mags were god-awful. You couldn't get them. We had to modify all our mag pouches to fit them, the yeah. G36 mags, that is. Um, good initiative, bad judgment. <laughs> yeah. It's just a silly idea. But I guess you know, I, everybody, oh, sorry. everybody has silly yeah. ideas. <laughs> You know, I like Glocks for the same reason I like the AKs, because they're stupid simple, and they're reliable, robust. They What I always describe a Glock as, they don't do any one thing particularly well, but they do everything very good. So yeah. they, 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 they're accurate, they're reliable, they're not a race, you know, they're not the most accurate, they're not the most reliable, they're not the best trigger, they're not the best sights, but everything is well-rounded. So you can pick one up, use it in a pinch, and I, I think it's very effective at doing that. That is why I am such a fan of them. Uh, as far as thinking it's the end-all, be-all pistol for whatever, no, I also love, you know, 1911s and every other variant. I'm, I'm kind yeah. of a connoisseur when it comes to uh, different firearm designs, just because... Um, mechanically, they're all fascinating to me, and they're all very, uh, very different and unique. Um, anyway, let's. Uh, man, all right, you know what? Sto- I got two stories I want to hear from you because I know people will love them. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna sideswipe you with this one. Um, you gotta tell us about the guy digging in Iraq. <laughs> <laughs> It's like the best story ever. Uh, it's always good. It's good for a laugh. So, what he's talking about, um, this this happened during my military career, the U.S. military career, when I was in Iraq with the U.S. Army. Uh, <laughs> so, for anyone that served 
they, they, they know the, they know the stupidity that can happen and the people that, you know, lead us and all that crap. Um, well, let's just get into the story. Uh, so in 2009 to 2010, all com- combat operations had ceased, right? We were just there as a force, just to get, like force protection, just to be like, hey, we're here, like, don't fuck up. Like, you guys do your shit, but we're still going to be here, whatever. Like I explained earlier, we're just helping out the IPs. Uh, so later on dur- during our deployment, um, third ID rolled in into our FOB, so we ended up being under them. Uh, that's the third infantry division. I think it's like a, they were an armored division. So uh, one day, <laughs> my platoon was, uh, or my squad rather, uh, was stationed on uh, for uh, QRF, which is our quick reaction force. Every day we had somebody, you know, on call just in case whatever happened, um, which wasn't really much because at that time the only people that were going out outside the wire was actually the NPs, which was my company. The only pretty much uh, the NPs and obviously SF that were stationed on the base too. So not much going on, but we still had a QRF just in case, right? So, so we get spun up one day and uh, battalions calling down, it's third ID. And they're like, hey, uh, we're going to spin you guys up. Uh, we have this with this big ass blimp in the sky that's pretty much observing the fucking uh, area of operations around us. And uh, they spin us up. And they're like, hey, man, uh, we got a guy digging. Like, okay, what? Like, yeah, we got a guy digging. Like, okay. So we drive up to the battalion to, to meet, um, I think he was an LT. He was talking to my team leader. He was uh, getting the coordinates yeah. to plug into the BFT. And he's explaining some blue force tracker, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. So he's he's explaining this. He's like, you guys got to go out to this little village. I, don't know, I forget how fucking far it was away. And he's like, he, this dude's digging. He's digging. He's he's digging holes. And and for those of you that don't know, digging in Iraq is affiliated with always oh, planting an IED and in Afghanistan. When you see a guy digging, it's like, oh shit, he plant an IED to blow us all up later when we drive by or walk by exactly. or whatever. Right. Exactly. Thank you. However, this is, uh, what'd you say, 2000 when? 2009, yeah. So 2009. 2009, right. yeah. In 2004, 2005, this probably would have been a big deal. But considering that the mission had changed, you know, it really wasn't. So we drive up to the battalion, and he's explaining to us that we've got this guy digging. So uh, my team leader's talking to him, and I'm sitting on the side of the truck. At this point, we have uh, MRAPs now, the mine-resistant vehicles. and right, I actually big... Big military trucks. Big fucking dump <laughs> trucks, yeah. I had a Cayman, and the fucking Cayman was perfect, man. It was that three-axle truck, man. Mm. We set it up as our uh, e-bag vehicle. Nice. Yeah, I put some, like, litters in the back as bunk beds. We even had a PlayStation in there for a little bit. Cause, you know, that's baller. Yeah, they have 110 outlets. Um, <laughs> that's legit. <laughs> so he's like, yeah, you guys got to go get this guy. So we're plugging in the grid on the BFT. Blue Force Tracker, and uh, obviously the satellite imagery comes up, right? right? So it's like Google Maps, you know, you can see where you're going, so we plug this up. In, in real time, right? In or real you... time. Well, yeah, there's, I guess there's a little bit of a delay, but it's still... Sure. Okay. So, <laughs> so we're looking at the satellite imagery, and uh, we're noticing that there's these 
green squares, right? And there, there's several green squares, and they're nice and perfectly aligned, and all this good stuff. And uh, you know, me and my uh, team leader are looking at the BFT, and we obviously know what it is. You know, we've we know what's going on. <laughs> and this LT is like, he's still blabbing us. Like, we well, he's digging. We got to go out there. So, so my team leader turns the the screen around. He's he's like, LT, what's that look like to you? And uh, he's just kind of looking at it. He's like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, what's what's the picture look like to you? He's like, I don't know, man. He's like, well, from, you know, deductive reasoning and what I know and being and, and everything. To me, sir, it kind of looks like farmland. <laughs> <laughs> kind of looks like crops, sir. And he's like, oh, well, whatever. Go out there. So whatever. We spin up and we fucking get ready. And we Send you anyway. Yeah, we get sent. Hubris, I love it. <laughs> that sums up LTs for you. <laughs> so we finally get out there. We drive to the fucking village, and already fucking when we get into the village, because we got to go through the village first before we actually get to our final destination, or whatever. So they're kind of looking at us. We're driving these big ass fucking dump trucks in this tiny ass village, and people are like, "Oh, stop!" You know, because there's like low flying, like low hanging wires and shit. And like, oh, you're gonna hit it. <laughs> yeah. Why are, you, why are you here? Like we're sorry. Not yeah, not literal dump trucks, for by the way. <laughs> yeah. But they but these military vehicles are like the size of a massive dump truck for like major construction. They're huge. Exactly. Yeah. We finally get out there and uh, we find we find this dude and it's it's, it's a single male, just one one person, uh, older gentleman, and he is he's out there digging. <laughs> and so uh, a convoy. Uh, four vehicles pull up. It was two, what we ran were two MRAPs and two Humvees. <laughs> pull up just right on the side, and we all get out. <laughs> and we just look at this guy, and he's like sitting there with a shovel. He's got a wheelbarrow. He's do, he's working. Yeah. And he just looks up, and he looks at us, and we look back at him, and we're just like, we just wave. And then he just kind of waves back. And then we just like, okay, man, we're good. We get in our truck. Did, well, didn't 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 you actually? Did you talk to him or? No, we didn't say anything. No, yeah, yeah. Looked at him like, all right, man. I, I see you're you're tending like, to your farm. Uh, yeah. What are, what are you doing? Digging. Yeah, that's what we thought. You're not planting any bombs, are you? No, no, sir. Okay. See ya. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god some of the stupid shit you have to do um in the military like they just because of incompetence or hubris or whatever or miscommunication just things happen like that and i, I love that story just because it's like it pretty much sums up like 80 percent of your time in <laughs> <laughs> like like there are a few cool moments there's some badass shit and then there's a lot of like stuff like that where you're just like oh man um i love it though that's that's great man that's awesome uh um all right and then we've got a little bit of time let's let's knock out one more story i you gotta tell them about the a10 <laughs> well let me take a sip of my whiskey there mm. By the way, if uh, anybody out there likes whiskey, especially uh, my overseas brethren over there, Lafroy, 
the Isla Scotch whiskey. Definitely amazing. Mm. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, Scotland is fucking killing it with the fucking uh, scotch. Anyway, so uh, this A10 story, this was from my time in Syria the white, <laughs> with the YPGD. Um, this was during the uh, the Tishran operations. Um, just before I left, we were uh, pushing towards the Tishran Dam. Um, just trying to, you know, cover some area, trying to get to Afrin or trying to enclose that and also trying to push down to Raqqa. Which, uh, of course, Mambij and Rock and everything happened after I left. But we were, mm-hmm. while I was there, we were in the the beginning of stages of all that. Right. <laughs> so, while we're pushing, um, some of the guys, some of the platoons and everything, are, they, they ended up on the Tishran Dam. Uh, my guys actually ended somewhere around there, but it was still just around some villages or whatever. We are just kind of... Clearing out what we could, you know, and um, just kind of picking up the pieces, I guess, in a sense. Um, so we, uh, we're out there. We're in this uh, village, and it's it's been cleared out. And uh, I think at this point, we'd probably been going for about five days now, um, you know, just sleeping in the truck and just fucking driving. <laughs> so we, uh, we get in this village. And um, we're just hanging out, and apparently, for whatever reason, uh, uh, something came down to where somebody was saying that there was a, a Dosh gun nest about, like, 500 meters or something from us. And uh, we're like, okay, whatever. So uh, <laughs> we're still just kind of sitting there, and... Um, we had the mortar guys with us. They did have a mortar team, and um, two of these guys get out, and uh, they start setting up their little uh, mortar system, which I guess uh, I don't understand mortars too well, but it's obviously the little man packs they use. I guess what's like 60 millimeters, I guess. Yeah. Something like the uh, 61s, I believe. 61s. Yeah, I think so, yeah. This is the smallest, and they got the 81s. So... Um, they start setting it up. I, again, I don't know where they get this information from. They just, there's a Dosh gun nest. There's a nicest gun nest, and we have to take it out. I'm like, okay, okay. And they keep pointing it over here, and I'm just kind of looking. All right, whatever. Um, so the YPG, they do have air support, U.S. Uh, air support, or coalition air support, I should say. Um, I guess it really depends on whoever's on deck that day. You know what I mean? Um, right. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> the way they use the air support system is they have this, like, little iPad, almost. And uh, the way they use it, it's kind of like it's kind of like they, they bring up, it's kind of like Google Maps, right? And they're able to plot grid coordinates, right? We had, we had something they, similar in, in Ukraine for uh, um, keeping track of what we were doing, where we were going kind yeah, of deal. Exactly. And I think the way our system was set up was, like, we plotted the points – uh, from you know our end, and that I think that information got sent back to like Erbil, and then it got plugged into the coalition that was you know whatever was going on that day. They got the the grid coordinates plugged in, and they were able to drop or strafe whatever they needed to, right? So uh, these Kurds are on this iPad, and they're and they're marking this position where they think this gun nest is, <laughs> and uh, a few minutes roll by. And uh, you start hearing planes. And uh, 
distinctively, the, there's a distinct sound for the 18 Warhog, right? So already you knew a sec- the second that entered the AO, you knew this. <laughs> 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 so so um, we're watching where this fucking gun nest is supposed to be. And uh, we have our, our uh, plane in the air. And uh, after a while, it finally comes out because it's, it's above the clouds at this point. It's a cloudy day. <laughs> and uh, it's amazing. It has... It was preparing to do a strafe, right? To use the cannon on the uh, the front of the yeah. The so plane. he's diving. Yeah, he's diving. So you can see it, and it was the most amazing thing in the world. It looked like an angel coming from the fucking out of the clouds. Just, just like everything went silent. Glorious. This, yeah, you just see this plane just diving. It was amazing. And uh, of course, uh, <laughs> you hear the iconic <laughs> and it just echoes. <laughs> If no one's heard an A-10 before, um, the best way I would describe it when they're shooting the cannon is... Man, YouTube it. YouTube it right now. (laughs) You can YouTube it. Um, Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, just go ahead and YouTube it. Yeah, it's like a... It's just a... It's just a... It's shooting so fast, and these rounds are so big, it's just... And then you hear the... the, the, uh, It usually sits up... What is it? The rockets as well? But you So you hear the... And then, yeah. like the follow-up, it's it's amazing. It's an amazingly awesome amount of firepower. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Beautiful plane. Um, so it comes out of the clouds. It doesn't strafe run. It pulls back up. And uh, I guess it hit its target. So we're like, okay, because it didn't come back, right? All right. They hit the target that we gave them. Beautiful. The gun nest is deceased, right? Right. <laughs> so so we start making our way over there and uh <laughs> we get up there and it's a it's a group of buildings and uh we get in there and we're looking at the damage and uh <laughs> we we get up it's this little hut it's like this this house is brick and cement and everything and uh obviously it's fucking destroyed and uh, we look into uh, there was like this wing set up on the house, and we look in there and there's fucking rubble and shit everywhere. And we look in there and there's a bunch of dead sheep. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm looking around and I'm like, guys, this is where the gun nest was supposed to be, right? And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, we just we just called in a fucking strafe run for this Dodge gun nest. They're like, yeah. I can see him. I see sheep. I guess they were ISIS sheep. <laughs> so, so, so we're just kind of sitting there, and I'm just like looking at the ground, like, are you serious? We, this really happened. And uh, by this time, we're all fucking starving. Like, it's been five days, and the only thing we've been eating was non bread and like tomatoes, if we could find it. Yeah, I remember you lost like you lost like fifty pounds or something. It was insane. Yeah, you were you were kind of a big boy going over, and then when last, next time I saw you, you were a rail of a human being, <laughs> like a stick. Yeah. yeah. Um. So we, we're just sitting there, and then one of the curds, one of the YPG curds, comes out, and he's like, "Hey, man." Um. Obviously, he's speaking his language. I'm just you know interpreting it how I saw it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like. So one of those sheep aren't really – they're not dead yet. 
<laughs> I'm like, what? <laughs> so he rolls this sheep out. <laughs> and it's like, it's like, it got concussed. I guess it missed or whatever. And it's just kind of like barely alive. And he's like, yeah, man, uh, this one's not dead yet. So it's perfect. So we went to go find a rug and we, bro- we rolled this poor little thing up in the rug. And later that night, we ended up in another village uh, to, you know, sit down and um, take some rest and whatever. And uh, we end up, uh, you know, butchering the sheep to eat. <laughs> barbecue, motherfucker. Barbecue, yeah. And the entire time, I was just, I was thinking about it. I was just thinking, like, this is the most expensive fucking sheep but food I've ever eaten. Because it literally took... An A-10. A-10. <laughs> <laughs> an a10 gun run to get your your dinner <laughs> man yeah. if anybody listening here is a taxpayer which i mean that should be almost all of you hopefully <laughs> um yeah there you go your tax dollars at work <laughs> oh man that is awesome man a10 barbecue i like it <laughs> but hey man that's that's just part of the job dude sometimes uh sometimes you make mistakes you know sometimes, sometimes shit you know, happens you think you're taking out a gun nest but really you're just killing a bunch of sheep <laughs> <laughs> oh man oh well brother it has been great having you on really appreciate you coming on the show today and t- uh, sharing your insight and stories with us and just shooting the shit absolutely a pleasure well, thank you sir awesome well um check it out uh yeah uh thank you so much for tuning into the merch corner today um check us out on instagram facebook and of course uh make sure you got us on spotify and i think there's something else but i'm probably forgetting it right now um either way check out check out those three for sure um if you're interested in some of Irwin's other exploits he does have a book his book is cab hunter um it's available on amazon uh, definitely goes over uh, his travels throughout uh, his time uh, during the conflict. Um, and with that, make sure you tune in next time and uh, ciao, ciao. <laughs>